Gone, a podcast about people who have gone missing from the upper Midwest of the United States and Southern Ontario. These people didn't just disappear. Someone, somewhere, knows something. And I'm Janelle Feller. Brandon Swanson was 19 years old when he went missing near Marshall, Minnesota. Brandon graduated from Marshall High School in 2007 and spent a year studying wind energy at Minnesota West Community College in Canby, Minnesota, which was about 30 miles from his home in Marshall. It was May 2008 and Brandon had just finished his freshman year at college. He went out with friends to celebrate the beginning of summer break. At around 1.30 a.m., he headed home from his friend's house in Lind, which is about a 10-minute drive. Not long after, his parents get a call from Brandon saying he went in the ditch in between Lind and Marshall. He tells his parents he's okay, but his green Chevy Lumina is stuck, and he asks if they can come and pick him up. So his parents, Annette and Brian, set out to get their son. They thought they knew where he was, based on his description, since it was only 10 minutes away. His mom stayed on the phone with him while they were on their way to get him. As they were approaching where they thought that he was, where Brandon thought that he was, they start flashing their lights and they can hear Brandon clicking the lights on his car and he's saying, don't you see me? There was nothing. Brandon tells his father he's going to start walking back to his friend's house in Lind as his parents continue to look for his location. He's on a gravel road in the dark. It's 2 a.m. and him and his dad carry on a long conversation as he's walking. He's growing impatient and says he's going to cut through a field. He tells his dad that he can hear water running and he keeps running into fences. It's now 3 a.m. It's farmland and he's getting frustrated. It would have been difficult to see. He's been on the phone with his parents for 47 minutes. This whole time, they're trying to locate him between Lind and Marshall. All of a sudden, Brandon shouts, oh shit, and the line goes dead. His parents say it's like he dropped the phone. They tried yelling for him, thinking maybe he would hear it. When he didn't come back on the line, they called him back five or six more times, but he never picked up. By 6.30 in the morning, his mom calls the Lynn police to report him missing. They searched the area Brandon told his parents he was in, and they also found no sign of him. Using cell phone records, they were able to locate the last area his phone was in, and they traced it to Porter, Minnesota which was 20 miles away from Lind, where his friend's house was. The police find his vehicle in the ditch, hung up on an approach. It was springtime in Minnesota, so it was slippery and muddy. The car doors were open and the keys were missing. This was a minimum maintenance road. He was not traveling on the main roads to get home. It appeared he had attempted to turn around at the approach and his car got stuck. This is probably what caused confusion for his parents when they were trying to find him. There was no indication that another vehicle was involved, and there was no obvious damage to his vehicle. It was said it was a gravel road, so they couldn't determine which direction Brandon started walking in. When he was reported missing, they thought he was in Lyon County, but his vehicle was found in Lincoln County, right on the line. This caused delays in the initial search. Investigators brought in search dogs, and they followed his scent to the Yellow Medicine River. 
The dogs jumped in and back out and followed his scent down a trail quite a distance. This led them to believe that Brandon went into the river and was able to get out, but the dogs eventually lost his scent. Lincoln County Sheriff Jack Vizecki said in the spring after the snow melts, there is a huge amount of water that's channeled into the area where Brandon went missing. The river becomes a torrent of water that's anywhere from 7 to 8 feet deep, and in some areas can be up to 15 feet deep. Searchers covered 120 square miles of watershed. Search manager Jeff Haas said eventually the dogs alerted them to the farm fields north of Porter, Minnesota. A large amount of Brandon's scent was found there. Those fields are six miles from where his car was found. The fields are on Highway 68 between Canby and Porter. He was walking in the opposite direction of his home and where his parents were looking for him. As the years passed with no clues or information about what happened to Brandon, people wonder if maybe he was kidnapped or was killed by someone who saw him walking. Criminal profiler Pat Brown, who appeared on Nancy Grace in 2011, said it's very unlikely that there was a killer out there in the dark, in the bushes, and there just happens to be a guy that shows up in the middle of nowhere, walking down the road. Sheriff Vizecki said the possibility of foul play is still open, but they can't find evidence that that's the case. The search for Brandon is complicated because of the distance he could have walked, the landscape, and the constant shift of winds in that region. Searchers haven't found clothing, jewelry, glasses, or his phone that he had on him at the time. Landowners were asked to be on the lookout for remnants of blue jeans or clothing, something that doesn't belong. Human remain detection dogs did indicate the presence of human remains in the search area, but they're trained to pick up the scent of remains, not a specific person's remains. But the longer the search goes on, the less scent there is. They are convinced that Brandon did not fall into the river, or at least that's not where he stayed. He would have been found in the river or downstream by now. The belief is, is that he went in and was able to get out but succumbed to hypothermia. In 2018, Derek Woodford of the BCA said the case is still open and they still get some leads. He says all it takes is one thing, so we're not going to give up. Officials say there is no evidence of foul play or that he staged his own disappearance. His mother said, maybe I'm a terrible mother for this, but I felt very early on, before the first 24 hours were up, something terribly wrong happened. It's a weird place to be because there's always a glimmer of hope, but then I think, that's my heart. But my mind knows it's not going to happen that way. She told her daughter, I'm not sure Brandon is going to be found in my lifetime. Her daughter said, Mom, I don't think he's going to be found in my lifetime. Brandon was last seen wearing baggy jeans, a blue striped polo shirt, a black hooded sweatshirt, a white twins baseball cap, wire rimmed glasses, and a sterling silver chain necklace. He also had his wallet, house keys, and a black Motorola phone, none of which have been found. Brandon would be 30 years old this year. One bright spot that has come from Brandon's disappearance is a new law named after him. Brian's law took effect January 2009, and it expands the state's missing children law to include adults who go missing under dangerous circumstances. Brandon's parents said when they initially reported him missing, they were told that he's an adult and he has a right to go missing. His parents knew that this wasn't the case. The law requires law enforcement to take a missing person's report without delay after notification of someone missing under dangerous circumstances, no matter the age of the person. Immediately conduct a preliminary investigation to determine if the person is missing or whether the person is endangered and promptly notify all other law enforcement agencies of the, of the situation. They would also be required to seek additional information 
including DNA samples, dental records, x-rays, photographs, and fingerprints if the person isn't found within 30 days. If you have information about Brandon Swanson's disappearance, please call the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension tip line at 1-877-996-6222. I've never heard that story before. It's upsetting. It's very upsetting because it's very... That could happen. I mean, I... I we live in northern Minnesota, right. not so different than southern Minnesota. In the spring, it's muddy, right. it's it's um, slippery. Um, going into the ditch is a common occurrence. Yeah, it's a nineteen nineteen year old kid, and um, it is easy to get turned around. Yeah, that's understandable. But yeah, and for some reason, he was driving the back roads, and he must not have relayed that to his parents because his parents thought that he was on, you know, that main the main stretch that they have driven. Probably a million times, but for some reason he got turned around and he was on gravel roads. You know, uh, I'm not saying that this is what happened, but when I was that age, if I was drinking, that's what I would have done. I would have taken right. back roads. I would yeah. have taken roads that weren't main roads. And if you're not paying attention, you can, especially in an area that you're not so familiar with, you can get you can get lost. It all looks the same. Right. And they said that that road that he was on was a minimum maintenance road, and there was literally no lights on that road whatsoever. No. And the middle of Minnesota at night in the summer, it's pitch black. Yeah. It's pitch black. You can't... I mean, you could see probably well enough to walk, um, but you wouldn't be able to drive without your lights on. No. Because uh, it's just you can't see far enough ahead. Right. How scary. I yeah. mean, that could happen anywhere. Uh, to anyone and then to just completely disappear because it's very unlikely that somebody was out there just waiting for a victim right in the middle of nowhere yeah um it just seems so unlikely that mm -hmm. you would pick some random back road that and just hope that somebody drives down it or walks down it right. it just doesn't seem likely but it's surprising that nothing has shown up yeah from the river or from I mean, it's it's it was deep. It was could be up to fifteen feet deep. Yeah. But um, in in the summertime, um, it, it's a lot less than that. Yeah. And you'd think that you'd be able to search that whole uh, whole length of that. But right. And when I when I looked up um, Marshall and Lind and Canby on uh, the internet, it looks like it's closer to South Dakota. Yeah. So I could see where the winds and that terrain. Would yeah. come into play where, making you know, it, making it hard for making it hard for dogs to maybe find them. Right. Um, well, and stirring stuff up too. And stirring stuff up and yep. and covering stuff and uh, and I think that maybe because it was I wonder if it makes any difference because it was on a county line, uh, if that would slow things down, if it would, if it would matter as far as the search goes. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like it did initially okay. because he was reported to one police department where his parents thought that he was, yep. but he was actually found in a different county. His car was. Right. Yep. Or, yeah, sorry, his car was found in a different county. Um, so it did. It I think it, it did slow things down a little bit. And I think it got to the point where it was so much searching and so much information that then the BCA took over. Right. It's frightening because I think that could happen to anyone. Yes. Especially 19 years old. Right. All of life ahead of you. Yeah. Well, my story is about Sharon Baldigo. Information for this article comes from the Charlie Project, Oklahoma City News, Rapid City Journal, Real Life Villains, and Reddit. This story starts out in Eagle Butte, South Dakota. Today, Eagle Butte has a population of 1,327. 
It is a tribal headquarters of the Cheyenne Indian Reservation. The per capita income is $13,701. There are two grocery stores in Dewey County. Eagle Butte sits on the southwest quadrant of South Dakota. It is 100 miles from a city larger than itself. Taylor Bald Eagle is Sharon's father and a tribal judge for the Cheyenne River Sioux. He reported that Sharon was a daddy's girl who danced in tribal dances and was learning how to cook. She was the oldest of four and was weeks away from attending her first year at, Brain at Brainerd Indian Training School near Hot Springs. The school was listed as a Wesleyan Ministries for Native Children. On September 18, 1984, 12-year-old Sharon Bald Eagle ran away from home with her 15-year-old friend Sandy. The girls hitchhiked to Casper, Wyoming, which was 400 miles away from Eagle Butte. In Casper, they were picked up by a truck driver named Royal Russell Long. Long took the girls to his home in Evansville, Wyoming, and fed them. Sandy reported that he offered to pay them $100 for sexual services. The girls refused, so he tied them up with coat hangers and duct tape. He beat up Sharon, and he raped Sandy. When Long fell asleep, Sandy escaped and went for help. By the time that the police arrived, Long and Sharon were gone. Weeks later, Long was arrested in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on kidnapping and rape charges. He reported that the girls had agreed to have sex with him for $100, and after sex, they demanded $200 because they were underage. He reported that he had threatened the girls with a gun and tied them up. Long admitted to falling asleep and waking up to find Sandy gone. He reported that he loaded Sharon into his truck and drove her to Cheyenne, where he put her into a light-colored truck headed for Dallas, Texas. Long reported that he tried to find Sharon, but there's nothing to support his story. Prosecutors wanted to charge Long with murder, but they decided against it. Long pled guilty to two counts of kidnapping for the purpose of committing indecent liberties with a minor and was sentenced to two life terms. Long was later charged with kidnapping of two 13-year-old girls from the Oklahoma State Fair in September of 1981. These charges were dropped due to lack of evidence. Long died in prison of a heart attack in 1993. After Sharon went missing, her dad spent two months searching for her, driving and hitchhiking rides as far north as Arizona. In Cody, Wyoming, a truck driver asked what his other children were doing without him. He went home after that to wait for good news. He still prays for her safe return at every meal and wears a necklace of hers to keep her close to his heart. Stories like the women who were discovered and rec rescued in Cleveland after disappearing 10 years earlier bring him hope. Taylor believes that his daughter is still alive and out there somewhere, if only she can be found. Today, Sharon would be 47 years old. She is Native American. She has thick, wavy black hair, a full heart-shaped face, and almond-shaped eyes that are dark brown. If you know anything about the disappearance or whereabouts of Sharon Bald Eagle, contact the Fall River County Sheriff's Office at 1-605-745-4444. I just can't even imagine being a parent and having this this happen to your 12-year-old. I never hitchhiked, um, but I suppose in more rural areas it was more common. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the idea, so Sh Sharon was 12 and Sandy was 15 or 16. And that's so frightening to me. That's that 400 so miles. What were they doing? They Why were, were they going there? They ran away. So there wasn't a reason for that specific place that you found? 
Um, not not specifically. Okay. So um, the uh, Sharon was supposed to start school in, in a couple of weeks, and um, I don't know whether that was a, a reason for it. The school would have been in Hot Springs, which was which was a, a long ways from where they were at or where she grew up, and um, it was a it was a, a boarding school. So okay. she would have not only gone to school, but she would have lived there and and would have lived there uh, for at least you know a semester, and then go home at Christmas time, just like what you would do if you were in college, not right. getting home very often. Um, but the yeah, and I don't know if that was a catalyst for it. Um, it seemed like a good idea. Uh, you know, I talked a little bit about what Eagle Butte was like, or is like. The statistics I gave her from nineteen uh, from twenty nineteen. So um, Eagle Butte is small rural um it has two grocery stores in the county there's a thousand three hundred people it's it's to some it may not be the most exciting place and i suppose if you're a 12 year old 15 year old girl everything else looks more exciting yeah yeah there wasn't nothing was listed as a specific reason and i wasn't able to find anything else by any siblings about you know talking about why she might have left or and the dad didn't talk about that. Yeah. And there's been no new updates. Nope. Nope. And what's bothersome is is that, you know, um, Royal Russell Long, he, the only reason that he got charged with kidnapping and rape is because Sandy got away. Yeah. Or he would have gotten away with that, too. And um, there's at least two other um, murders that are tied to him and maybe two additional ones sure. so uh, and that's just that's what's you know been connected with him it, it, it's one of the challenging parts about when you know a, a, a child a 12 year old child does something and then harm comes to them I, I we have to be careful not to victim blame their the girl's behavior may have been it seems very dangerous to us yeah but um they didn't deserve what happened to them no and uh and this dad Regardless of their actions. No, right, right. It they didn't deserve what happened to them, and um, to make a mis- to make a mistake, the idea of hitchhiking, taking a ride from the wrong person, because it, it sounds like he didn't pick them. You know, he's he, they may have been ridden with other people as well. Right. And uh, the idea that there's two of you and feel safe, you're not by yourself. But um, his uh, lungs. Um, M.O. was to pick up uh, girls in pairs or boys um, in pairs and assault both of them because they were, I suppose they were just more confident to go with them if they were together. But Sure. It's very upsetting. It is upsetting. It's, it's um, in the center of rural, 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 Midwest, and this can happen. Yeah. He traveled a lot, and so he his he traveled to Arizona and Oklahoma, and uh, some of his crimes are there. They could just be spread all over, They're and that's the over. ones that we know of, right? Um, that's the ones that we know. Of, so, yeah. we ask that you do not reach out to the family or post names of possible suspects on social media. Photos, along with other information and articles, can be found at our website at gone-podcast.com. <laughs>